0: Sex is a bit like a secret society. Everybody's doing it, it's just that no one talks about it. Well, except me, of course, here every Sunday night on the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show, the show where we educate everyone about sexual health, how it relates to overall health, making your relationships the best they can be. Good evening, I am Maureen McGrath, a registered nurse in the field of sexual health. I am also the author of the book Sex and Health, Why One Can't Come Without the Other. I'm a researcher, blogger at Fifty Shades of Pink, Clinician, TEDx speaker, and your resource to help start that conversation, answer your questions, and help you discover new and exciting things about sex, relationships, health, love, and your body. I make no innuendos, no judgments, and no apologies. Just fearless, straight-up talk about, you guessed it, sex. I guarantee it will be illuminating, enlightening, and fun. So please stay with me. Please put the kidlets to bed as listener discretion is advised. Keep in mind, we're going to be discussing a lot of sexual health topics tonight. Good evening. It's uh, my pleasure to be here with you this evening. Thank you so much for joining me. If you have any questions for me tonight, email me, sextalk at cknw.com. We have lots of different subjects on the program tonight. In line with my single ladies segment, or all the single ladies, I'm going to be covering why you're attracted to the wrong men. That should be interesting. Uh, are you attracted to the wrong men? What kind of men are you choosing in your life, ladies, if you're choosing men? And uh, maybe you've chosen so many men, you've decided to choose women now. But anyway, nonetheless, we're going to be talking about that. Also in line with my all the single ladies, faking to finish. They're, I'm going to be talking about a new research study out of Ryerson University. And also, uh, as you know, there's in some industries... In some fields, and some jobs, women get paid less than men quite often. Uh, And so, but now there's a way for us to get back. There's a new app that lets women charge for a night out. I'm all over that one. Eat, pray, love to a whole new level. Uh, Also, um, we're going to be talking about the men as well. Of course, I cannot forget you guys. You know that. Uh, Recently, I did a TEDx talk, TEDx Stanley Park at the Queen Elizabeth Theatre, and the, although the title of it may sound a little dismal, it's actually uplifting. Uh, it's it's the reasons why and uh, what you can do, a few things, what you can do about your sexless marriage or sexless relationship. So the TEDx talk, which is called No Sex Marriage, Loneliness, Masturbation, Cheating and Shame, can be found on YouTube. Uh, so I've had lots of views in the last couple of weeks. It's only been uploaded for a couple of weeks, but I've had about 5,000 views and about 4,500 messages from people all over the world, mainly uh, men, because it's more common in men uh, that they are with a partner who has low sexual desire who all of a sudden stops the sex. But I've had lots of uh, messages from men as well because sex is such a taboo subject about their sexless marriage or about the problems in their marriage. And one thing that I did to uh, separate the chafe from the wheat, quite frankly, is I said... uh, Yes, you may email me a question at sextalk at cknw.com. So some people don't want to do that. If they have messaged me on Facebook, for example. So some people don't want to do that. Um and uh, otherwise I've said sure I'll do Skype consults for an outrageous sum in uh, U.S. funds and so that really separates the the chafe from the weed as well to find out if I'm at if they're actually legit. But uh, occasionally I let a few people slip in there and uh, this one gentleman had a number of complex issues which I think are common to a lot of people. So I'm going to address his email and the many issues that men have around sexual health. He of course is is in a sexless marriage and um. But but he and his wife do meet occasionally on weekends, and they try and have sex. Uh, Also, the truth about sexually transmitted infections. I really want to discuss this subject tonight. This isn't pretty either, but I've had a number of patients in my clinical practice who have presented either with a sexually transmitted infection, and so therefore they've decided to shut their sex life down, or there are many uh, people are confused about what the symptoms of sexually transmitted infections are. Quite often, there are no symptoms, so that's important to know as well. So I've, uh, I'm going to review a couple of cases, and in particular, we're going to focus on herpes, which is one of the most common sexually transmitted infections out there. So I'm going to dispel some of the myths. Uh, some people decide to make up their own um issues or ideas or denial is a, is a big drug when it comes to sexually transmitted infections. But as I always say, it is so much better to know what you are dealing with than, than not uh, to understand that. So um, some of the symptoms, what you can do about it, how you can live, how you can live and still be in a relationship and be happy and, and feel sexually confident and, um, uh, feel good about yourself, and also not feel that your sex life is over. So, a lot of these issues are embarrassing; they're taboo. They can be complex, um, but the best way to deal with them is to put your problem on the table. Know what you're dealing with. There are so many treatments for uh, sexual dysfunction. I had a couple in my clinical practice this week. They were not having sex, and I said, and I often ask why that why. Uh, you're not having sex? Is it a medical reason? That's what I'm looking for. And um, this particular woman said, well, that her husband had erectile dysfunction after he had a medical condition. And I said, well, you know, there's treatments for him. There's help uh, that he can get. And uh, she said, no, please don't tell him. I'm just fine the way it is. And it's really sad when sex lives are shut down like that. And, and is it fair? I ask that uh, because somebody has low sexual desire, is it fair to end basically or terminate somebody's um sex life uh do we impose that on somebody and and how fair is that when we are sexual beings and it's very important that we're intimate with other people and close and uh it's it's good for your physical and emotional well-being so uh i ask is it fair that we impose uh uh, no sex lifestyle on somebody that we allegedly love and care about so oftentimes though it's because people don't know what to do about it or don't know what they should do about it so that's what this show is about this is about addressing the sexual health issues the health issues relationship issues so feel free to email me sex talk at cknw.com and uh, perhaps I'll read yours I'll definitely answer all of my emails so but I may read yours on the air, and you never know, it could help somebody out there, which is, uh, is really also um, what this show is about, just trying to raise awareness, help people make life and love just a little bit better for all of you. So when I return, I'm going to be talking about women's accounts of feigning sexual pleasure to end unwanted sex. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980 CKNW. I am Maureen McGrath. I am hosting this show as I do every Sunday night. I'm a registered nurse in the field of sexual health. Thanks for being with me tonight. It's a lovely to be here with you, as always. Uh, so we're focusing on the uh, single ladies and um, lots of various subjects throughout the show. Uh applying to this because lots of single ladies have questions. Why am I alone? How am I going to meet the right person? Am I going to ever meet the right person? And something else that is big uh, for women in general, especially women who are in relationships, is faking to finish. Uh, you know what I'm talking about, ladies. The big faker. If uh, uh, Faking orgasm, which I'm not proponent of. I don't think it's beneficial. I don't think it's healthy. I don't think it's good for you. I don't think it's something you should practice. A lot of women cannot experience orgasm, have never experienced orgasm, don't know what it feels like, are not vulnerable enough or not comfortable enough in their relationships. There are a number of reasons. Uh, I find in my clinical practice, I see a lot of patients, female patients with primary anorgasmia unable to experience an orgasm and and quite often I talk to them about mindfulness cognitive behavioral therapy lots of other strategies ensuring that their vaginal health is um, is uh, in great shape basically and that means that the pH is balanced and that it's there's good moisturization they're able to get aroused uh, so all of that is so important in terms of the female sexual response cycle to actually have women be able to experience orgasm, but there is a new research study out of Ryerson University that explores desire, consent, and harmful sexual norms, and I thought this was an interesting research study. When talking about troubling sexual sexual encounters, some women mentioned faking sexual pleasure to speed up their male partner's orgasm and ultimately end sex. We we think of this in committed relationships. We don't think of it in the harmful sex situations. So this was one of the findings that the that women speed up uh, sexual pleasure, uh, so their male partner can have an orgasm and the sex will end so this is one of the strategies of a qualitative study led by Emily Thomas out of Ryerson University she's a student in clinical psychology and this was part of a larger study on women's accounts of feigning sexual pleasure Uh, so this is quite interesting participants or study subjects were recruited to talk about faking or feigning sexual pleasure in the context of consensual sexual encounters so it was surprising to everybody, and I'm, I'm quite surprised by the results of this, that all of the participants spoke explicitly of faking an orgasm to end at least one negative or unwanted sexual experience. So they're, they're actually faking that they're enjoying this. This could have some impact on some of these uh, sexual uh, abuse cases that we have in this country and, and the world over. They described the experience not using the explicit language of rape or coercion, despite the fact that the researchers felt that several of the descriptions could be categorized as such, an even more interesting aspect of this study. Fifteen women between the ages of 19 and 28 who had been sexually active for at least one year were interviewed to talk about their experiences in this research study, this research study about feigning sexual pleasure. Despite being recruited to talk about consensual sex, all of the 15 women spoke of at least one negative sexual experience. So the interviews were analyzed to explore how these women negotiated and accounted for the experiences of problem sex in the context of exaggerating sexual pleasure and then faking that orgasm. The analysis that uh, was done revealed that the women would employ indirect or roundabout ways of describing negative experiences using terms like bad uh, to describe sex that was at times really unwanted, unpleasurable, or painful, or all three. They could have experienced all of that. These women spoke of faking orgasm as their strategy their number one strategy to end these troubling sexual encounters, which was troubling to these researchers, and it's got to be troubling to women and men as well. So faking orgasm was their solution for ending the sex. They didn't feel comfortable ending any other way. They didn't have their voice. They couldn't find their voice. They didn't feel comfortable adding their voice. So this research highlights some interesting cultural issues As why women consent to sex that they don't desire, it also highlights dominant and widely accepted norms that the appropriate way to end a sexual encounter is to fake an orgasm. And it points to a lack of available language or a voice to describe women's experiences that acknowledge, names, and confronts the issues that the women spoke about in this research study we really need to address as women and as a society, we need to address the lack of language and to start that dialogue, open that dialogue that promotes open, safe, mutual, honest sexual experiences for both partners. I mean, seriously, guys, if you're forcing a woman to have sex with you, is this the kind of way you want this experience to go? That this woman is faking an orgasm so that you will stop having sex with her until you are finished. I mean, this puts a whole new light on uh, very disturbing uh, situations for women and quite honestly, men. Uh, this research, as I said, is out of Ryerson, and uh, they're doing gr- a great job examining the cultural, medical, and political forces that shape sexual meanings and practices. Um, I'm, there's a physician in Alberta who was given 30 days in jail for his inappropriate touching of one of his staff. This was not the first incident of sexual harassment that this doctor had. Um, so we have to look at this uh And actually, we need to look at the role of specific sexual technologies, pornography, sexual pharmaceuticals, digital dating, online dating, sexual expert advice. We need to change the conceptions of sexual normalcy and satisfaction for women. This is such timely research. It shows how culturally circulating messages um, about what constitutes satisfying sex interacts with people's experience. So... This could be a message that is shared between girls, between adolescents, between women. Uh, the and medicine, the medical community, and marketing and media we're we're conduits for the transmission of this message about sexual health and satisfaction, and really, this is what this research is about. So this is really groundbreaking research. Further research needs to be done. We need to have this conversation, and that is why this conversation about sexuality, sexual health, what's important, finding your voice. Um, You know, I had a patient in my office yesterday, and uh, she said to me, that she would like to purchase a particular sex toy to help her to experience orgasm. And uh, so she asked me what the price was. It was actually the Womanizer, which, you know, I talk about quite a bit. It's a a clitoral suckling device. And I I prescribe it often for women who have primary anorgasmia. And she said she would have to go home and ask her boyfriend. Now, this is a professional woman who is working. And she makes good money. And she actually just got a new job. And she's got like a 30% pay increase and she said to me she would have to go home and she would have to ask her boyfriend if she could afford it and i thought how sad is that how pathetic is that that she actually has to go and ask her boyfriend if she can afford this device which really isn't all that much when we're talking about the big O here um, and uh, i thought you know there's power in relationships and sex is about power but sex is about healthy power and sex is about unhealthy power And that was a clear example of unhealthy power. A woman needs to make her own decision. We need to teach girls and women that they can make their own decisions. That's why it's important to be financially independent uh, however that looks to you to be able to spend your own money, to make your own money, spend your own money, be compensated perhaps for if you're a stay at home mom, be compensated for that. Actually have a certain amount put in your bank account every single month that you are allowed to make decisions around spending. But we need to change these sexual scripts, the consent. Beyond the simple dichotomies that we have, that we are accepting around what is normal around sexual health and relationships. And, you know, I won't be surprised if I don't hear from that woman that she's not allowed to purchase something that is simply for her pleasure. But it could also be brought into the bedroom when she and her boyfriend are intimate together. So... Uh, all the information about this research study is in a paper called Faking to Finish, Women's Accounts of Feigning Sexual Pleasure to Un to End Unwanted Sex. That's Faking to Finish, Women's Accounts of Feigning Sexual Pleasure to End Unwanted Sex. It appears in Sexualities, which is a, a, a magazine of sage publications. And um, it's very interesting if you can Google that and have a uh, more in-depth read. It would be very helpful, especially if you're in healthcare or in the media or in some other way where you can convey these messages to girls and women because it'll be really important that we get this information out there. So uh, it's time uh, it's a time for women today. It's a time for girls and women. We're making advancements in the workplace, not enough. Um, but we really need to make advancements in our relationships and we that means finding our voice, uh, knowing our bodies, understanding our bodies, exploring our bodies, understanding the female sexual response cycle that is very important that is taught to girls and women and when often when I speak and I speak all over this province and and on radio shows uh, all over really the world, uh, I've been an invited guest. Uh, it's important that we get these messages out and that we change this script and we let women know that their pleasure is important and the female sexual response cycle, which is how their bodies work. So if you don't know how your body works, you're not going to know when things don't go well. So it's basically around desire and arousal and lubrication and plateau and experiencing orgasm. And don't let anyone tell you that that the journey is just as good as the destination. I definitely disagree on that. Uh, so so it's interesting. So, you know, I'm so glad we're doing so much more research around sexual health and in particular for women. So, um Anyway, have a look at that paper and uh, email me, sextalk at cknw.com, if you find that you're in a relationship where you cannot find your voice. Anyway, when I come back, we're going to be talking about why you're attracted to the wrong men. I am Maureen McGrath. You are listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980 CKNW. I am Maureen McGrath, registered nurse in the area of sexual health, hosting the show. Thanks for staying with me. Thanks for joining me if you're if this is your first time. Uh, so we're talking uh, about attraction and attraction to the wrong men. How do you know when you are with the wrong guy? Well, generally your friends and family will tell you, but, you know, sometimes that doesn't actually... Uh, hold a lot of weight, and you're actually really attracted to the person, but your friends and family might not be. Uh, But that's okay. But sometimes you have a type, and there are generally... Four general wrong guys for each woman. So let's just address the bad boys. We all love the bad boy alpha males. They're attractive to every single woman, basically, because because they're charismatic, narcissistic, which means charming, but it can be a false charm, and good-looking, generally. Who can resist that? If you're an opinionated and and successful woman, I don't know any opinionated women out there, do you? Chances are the bad boy is not going to work for you ever, and it likely won't work for successful women either. The bad boy is really a good candidate for that laid back lady who is looking for someone to take the reins. So that's basically one type. But you know what? Y'all got to experience the bad boy because there is nothing like it. But you know, if you can go into it mindfully and just say, you know what? I'm just going to enjoy myself here. This is I'm going to take it for what it is. I'm just going to have some fun. That can be a great thing. But there's some other uh, types of men that you might be going for because perhaps somebody in your family or one of your friends said, you know, oh, he's a good guy, or you know, try this one. This is the type you need. You need somebody with a job. That's always a good thing. A lot of women do like men with jobs. Um, but there's another type. There's the best friend type. So if your attraction is similar to that of a best friend. And so many people say, uh, I married my best friend. Fabulous. That's why we have so many sexless marriages or so many boring sexless marriages. Anyway. Um, so I don't recommend you marry your best friend. I recommend you marry somebody or you be with somebody that you can have a darn good, passionate fight with. Uh, so this best friend may be wrong for you because he was put in the friend zone and it might mean that you're settling. But you know, if he was put in the friend zone, you probably should keep him there on the friend zone. And you know what? You might know each other too well and get too comfortable not allowing you to be really interested in each other like you would be had you just met. So there may be too many things you have in common. You might have the same kind of job, which is going be so boring. And sexual situations can be a little awkward. Mind you, there is friends with benefits. And that can be great for single women uh, navigating their sexual desire while they're waiting for the one that they want to commit to. Um, But there are some people who like the comfort of having someone who knows you inside and out. But then there's always this one. This is the dangerous one. The one your mother wants. And I've heard so many people uh, say, well, my parents liked him or he was within our social uh, circle or he was in the same at the same level of socioeconomic Status. So, you know, if you're a mother, try not to have an opinion on everyone your children date. Let your children choose the one they want. Even if he drives a Harley, is tattooed all over, if she's attracted to him, she's going to be happier. I one time had a a patient in my practice and the mother didn't like the guy. She liked somebody else, but the other person was a a heavy drinker. He wasn't working, but and she was very happy with this. uh, The woman, the girl, her daughter was very happy with the guy she was with, but he was twenty years older, and that's what the mother didn't like about it. But you know, mothers will often say they're too old, they're too young, they're not attractive, they work too much, they're not masculine enough for you, whatever. Mom, it's not about you; it's about the uh, the one your daughter chooses for herself. So. Blind dates, you know, they may be a little old-fashioned, but um, but they could actually prove to work for you. So, but if your mother's trying to fix you up on blind dates, that may not be a great thing. How about that too good to be true guy? I think this falls into the uh, narcissist guy as well. Too charming, too nice, uh, too good to you, too generous, too funny, too fabulous, uh, and he might be uh, the nice guy. If there's nothing wrong with him, he's probably wrong for you. That may sound funny, but there's such a thing as too perfect. If he doesn't disagree with you on anything, that may mean a passionless relationship and you may end up In a sexless marriage as well, or you may end up in a marriage that lacks passion. Passion comes in many forms. It does come in arguing. It does come in sexting. It does come in your communication. It does come in the bedroom. Uh, So, passion is a really vital aspect of any healthy and good relationship, and relationship that is fun. So, if a guy doesn't disagree with you on anything or have his own views, honestly, the relationship is not going to last a long time. This is why women reject the nice guys so often because they're so eager to please, non-confrontational, and they they do truly want you to be happy. But, you know, because of their laid back view on dating, they may not seem as masculine to uh, some women. These guys are generally the underdogs and they are the least chosen by women. And, you know, with with good reason <laughs> at times. They might be more passionate with somebody else. And that's that neurochemistry of love and lust and attraction. But you know, it's really good to find somebody that adores you. That's fantastic. But it's very important and perhaps more important that you find somebody that you are sexually attracted to because sex is the tie that binds. I, You know, this is not, these are not the messages that you're getting out there. The messages that you're getting out there is get, get a guy who can build you a great house. Get a guy who meet, ticks all the boxes, who your family likes, who, you know is acceptable to other people, your friends or whatever. No, get a guy that you're attracted to because when you close that door at night, whether that's your house door, your bedroom door, you want to be able to, uh, be so passionate and so attracted and, uh, make love with this person and just be totally comfortable with this person from uh, that perspective. So if one guy, one type of guy hasn't worked for you in the past, he may not work for you in the future, but take a look at your approach. Anyway, when I come back, a little bit more about sexual health. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980. That don't impress me. Don't impress me much. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980 CKW. I am hosting this show. I'm Maureen McGrath, registered nurse in the field of sexual health. Recently, I did a TEDx Stanley Park talk. To a crowd of about 2,000 people, and I dared to stand up there and let the cat out of the bag, quite frankly, about sexless marriages or less than sexually satisfying marriages and relationships, was basically what the talk was about. It was a little tongue in cheek uh, uh, in some parts. Some of it was uh, fact based, and other parts were stories that I shared about. My clinical practice over the years, and uh, and some were just some of the realities that you wouldn't think about that may contribute to a sexless marriage. So I've been, uh, of course, it's on YouTube. You can Google "no sex marriage," Maureen McGrath, TEDx Stanley Park, and you can have a watch of it if you like. Uh, So I've gotten loads and loads of messages around this, and especially around Facebook, and I needed to learn to uh have a strategy to deal with all of these messages and to t- separate the chafe from the wheat, quite frankly, to see who is really just being inappropriate and who was being um, who really had a problem. So I I suggested that the people who anyone who emailed me um, or messaged me on Facebook that they email me at SexTalk at cknw dot com and I suggest you do the same. And so I had an email from a gentleman, I believe he's from India, and I've had messages from people all over the world, Pakistan, Tunisia, Algeria, Ghana everywhere, Canada and the U.S., of course, um, about the issues and how some people said it was bang on, pun intended. (laughs) Some people said it just took me to get engaged for the sex to end. Uh, Another comment was from a man who said, uh, I've been married twice and the sex ended both times um, right after uh, I got married. So this is, uh, but it's not just limited to men. Uh, women are also in sexless marriages or, you know, and the problem arises when there's desire discrepancy. So when one person wants sex and the other doesn't, and there's a number of reasons, medical conditions, you know, for men, it might be low testosterone. It might be depression. It might be anger issues. It may be unresolved conflict. It may be excessive weight. So there's lots of different reasons. So I wanted to read this email to you because it, he addresses a lot of the problems, of. Uh, Uh, a sexless relationship. So he said, hi, Maureen, I'm Syed, your Facebook friend. I'm sending you my issues here. Please suggest what I should do. So he said he has erectile dysfunction most of the time since he was married 16 years ago. And this, his erection takes such a long time to become hard. And even he can't keep his erection more than 30 seconds. His wife gets so annoyed with me. He said, my wife gets so annoyed with me. She left me a few years ago, I don't have any children but that's my wife's issue as the doctors say. He says he also has premature ejaculation so he can't keep his erection long enough to satisfy his partner and ejaculate. He ejaculates within a minute and he's not satisfied either. He says I started masturbation in early age at an early age the age of 10. As one of our neighbor boys used to touch other boys' penises, it made it so sensitive Then one day I started masturbation. Now I'm 45 and married, but still masturbate almost every day, and I feel really badly about this. Mentally, I love to have sex, but physically I, it's hard to perform because of erectile dysfunction, premature ejaculation. My penis size and thickness is above normal after erection, though. And then he says to me, please resolve my issue. (laughs) I have been prescribed Viagra, but it makes me feel, have a headache and nausea. I try to avoid it. I'm hypertensive and I have chronic migraine pain. I had a history of bilateral varicocele and had surgery 16 years ago. Uh, Unless there was some nerve damage, there shouldn't be a problem there, but that shouldn't be a contributing factor. But I had a few questions for him, and so these are some questions that I typically ask in my clinical practice, and I'm asking you these questions if you are in a sexless relationship or if you're having issues around premature ejaculation or or, uh, erectile dysfunction or chronic masturbation, chronic pornography, stress, infidelity, or you've ended up in divorce because you're not having sex in your relationship. So I asked Syed, uh, were you inappropriately touched as a child by the neighbor boy, do you take medication for your hypertension? Because hypertensive, antihypertensive medication can lead to low sexual desire and erectile dysfunction. Do you take any other medications? Can you get an erection when you masturbate? Uh, I also advised him that there's no reason to feel badly about masturbation unless it's impacting his life. Have you ever had a testosterone level done, and is it normal? Are you overweight? How tall are you, and what do you weigh? Because I wanted his BMI uh, so I could... Uh, Have some marker there to see if um, what his obesity level was. Do you smoke or drink excessive alcohol? Do you and your wife have marital issues? Obviously, they do that are unresolved. And were you able to get an erection before you married and/or had varicocele surgery? So his responses were he, you know, he describes having been inappropriately sexually touched by that neighbor boy. Uh, He remembers the boy to be a bit older, and he didn't know. He thought maybe he was gay. He liked to touch their penises when he was around 10. That's going to impact the vulnerability you have in a sexual relationship when you get older or when you get into intimate relationships. So sexual abuse is a huge contributing factor to a sexually satisfying experience. Many people feel shame, and they hate sex, and they, they get very confused and anxious around it. Uh, He's he described that he was able to masturbate when in the shower with shampoo or soap. He always had a good erection when he was a teenager in or in his 20s. But when he got married in his 30s, that time he had erectile dysfunction issues. And he and his wife were both virgins when they got married. uh, And he was so nervous on the wedding night uh, that he didn't perform sex until after a month, uh, um, until one month after the wedding. Um, And he said it was okay, but often had erectile dysfunction and premature ejaculation issues. And his wife was always annoyed and angry with him. He feels so humiliated and insulted. He was prescribed Viagra uh, 10 years ago, and he does take it occasionally before having sex with his wife. But he said uh, he feels a very bad headache and nausea. He takes Coversil, 10 milligrams, for high blood pressure, which, is a, um, uh, which will impact it. And he's also overweight. He used to smoke cigarettes but quit two years ago and he doesn't have any other partner, he and his wife occasionally get together on weekends to have uh, sex. So these are a lot of contributing factors to low sexual desire, premature ejaculation, ED. He needs to lose some weight. Maybe his blood pressure will come down, deal with his marital issues, deal with the psychological issues. Anyway, when I come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about sexual health. I'm going to focus on sexually transmitted infections. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on Newstalk 980. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980. I am Maureen McGrath, registered nurse, hosting the show. Thanks for staying here with me this evening. It's always my pleasure to be here with you, of course. And it's my pleasure to let you know about the latest in dating technology. And I want to let you know about a new app called Eat. Pay in love. This new app lets women charge for a night out. Hello. <laughs> when you're tired and you don't feel like going, will $600 make it that much better for you? <laughs> I don't know about you, but money talks. <laughs> you don't even have to talk to the guy, probably. Anyway, think about it, ladies. After spending a lazy Saturday afternoon uh, alone, just a little night out might be good. 600 a $1,000, whatever. Um, but you know, you don't have to have sex with these people either. But if you do you are at greater risk for a sexually transmitted infection, which is the next subject that I wanted to talk about. Uh, There are so many misperceptions, misconceptions, myths about sexually transmitted infections out there, and one in particular is herpes, genital herpes. In particular, I've had a few patients in my clinical practice these days of late, and I see these things trending in my office. It's just like they present uh, by many different women in many different ways. One woman, for example had confirmed diagnosis by a swab of genital herpes she knew this she was on dating apps she didn't know that there were um, dating apps specifically for people with genital herpes there are herpes clubs so that you can actually be with somebody else who has herpes talk about uh, a common bond Um, but she was very happy to hear that because she was trying to find men and she was finding these men this was the shocker that were not interested in penetrative sex just interested in fondling her breasts so there There were guys out there (laughs) that uh, she found about that. But anyway, nonetheless, I told her her sex life did not have to end. So I had another patient in my office and uh, she had sexual pain upon penetration at the point of entry and when she was in the missionary position, which is like a really common position for a lot of people who love to indulge in boring sex. But that's not you. I know that. So uh, when she did engage in... uh, it was positional, she felt. And so when they did have sex doggy style, when she was on all fours, they um, the pain was less. So she was also mid-50s, and so it also speaks about vaginal dryness. And, and so I suggested that I examine her. And she said to me prior to my examination of her, oh, by the way, this is not a sexually transmitted infection. I was divorced two years ago. I'm with a new guy for the last year, and uh, he doesn't have... Um, many partners he doesn't he's not had multi partners so he can't have a sexually transmitted infection and so some healthcare practitioners have suggested that it may be a sexually transmitted infection but it's not I want to tell you that she said to me and I I thought um, okay uh, but I would like to just dispel one myth for you uh, it Whether or not he's had multiple partners does not matter. Anybody who has ever been sexually active is at risk for a sexually transmitted infection. You hear of all those stories that happened on the first time. So when I examined her, I noted a few blisters or vesicles at the introitus, the uh, opening at the base of the introitus. The introitus is the opening of the vagina And so it would stand to reason that when his penis went in, um, in the missionary position, the penis would rub against these vesicles, and I imagine it would be very painful. And when she flipped over, that the penis would rest at the top of the introitus, so it wouldn't be as painful. And that was consistent with what she said. So I suggested that she have a swab done, because there was a good chance that this was herpes, but she needed to have a swab done, of the fluid in the vesicle at the back of the blister in order to confirm this diagnosis. So uh, it may or may not be genital herpes. It could have been something else. But genital herpes is a sexually transmitted infection caused by two types of viruses, the herpes simplex type 1 and herpes simplex. Type two. It is such a common sexually transmitted infection. One out of every six people between the ages of fourteen and forty-nine have genital herpes. You need to think about this when you are having sex with somebody, or somebody that you don't know, or somebody that has not had, that has not been tested for sexually transmitted infections. Um, you can get herpes by having vaginal, anal, or oral sex with somebody who has the disease. So if somebody has a cold sore, you may, in fact, and you have oral sex, you're at great risk for getting. sexually transmitted infection, getting herpes. Also, if you are a woman in the perimenopausal years, the menopausal years, postmenopausal years, and you have vaginal dryness and your vaginal tissues are thinner, you are at greater risk for getting herpes or any one of the sexually transmitted infections. Fluids found in the herpes sore carry the virus, and it's the contact with those fluids that cause the infection. You can also get herpes from an infected partner who does not have a visible sore or who may not know he or she is infected because the the virus can be released through your skin and spread the infection to your sex partner or partners. So how do you reduce your risk of getting genital herpes? The only way to avoid sexually transmitted infections is to not have vaginal, anal, or oral sex. Well, that may not be a reality. So if you are sexually active, you can do the following things to lower your chances of getting vaginal or genital herpes. Of course, if you're in a long-term, mutually monogamous relationship with a partner who's been tested and has negative sexually transmitted infection results, that will reduce your risk. Using latex condoms the right way every time you have sex, and a lot of people don't know how to put on a condom, so don't be afraid to ask your physician or somebody in the know how to do that. Herpes symptoms can occur in both male and female genital areas that are covered by a latex condom, but the the outbreaks can also occur in areas that are not covered by a condoms. So condoms are not full protection from you getting herpes, okay? It is really important uh, if you're pregnant because genital herpes can affect your uh, baby and um, so you need to go and have your prenatal care visits. And the only way, um, most people have herpes who have no symptoms or have very mild symptoms, you need to have a swab. They can be mistaken for another skin condition like a pimple or an ingrown hair. But nonetheless, get tested. Make sure your partner gets, gets tested and, uh, and just be aware of this. I am Maureen McGrath. You are listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980 CKNW.